DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. It's great to be with you, Chris. Thanks for uh, through on this journey with us through the interior castle. This We're getting closer and closer to the center, and, and this sixth mansion is very, very beautiful. It is, I think, the most intriguing. I mean, all of the mansions are... They're so eye-opening when you just sit and pause. I say eye-opening, maybe heart-opening. This one in particular, this is one of the most intriguing mansions, I think, for many people, and myself included. Well, it's fascinating, and we mentioned this in our last chapter, but in the fifth spiritual mansions, it kind of culminates with this vision of Jesus who promises himself to the soul. It's like an engagement. And the sixth mansion is about how Jesus prepares someone for an even deeper union. If that engagement with the soul brings about a deep peace, the transforming union or the this uh, spiritual marriage that the sixth mansion prepares you for is going to bring about a great joy. So all that happens in the soul in this sixth mansion is preparing you for something even more wonderful. In our last chapter, what we looked at were some of the trials that a soul went through. And just to remind our listeners that it's hard to pray. There are attacks from the evil one. You, it, some of them are feel physical. You know, you just feel like you're spiritually clobbered. And it's hard to be silent in prayer. It's hard to read. You kind of feel like you're not doing anything right. And sometimes instead of spending time in prayer, you actually have to cut back a little bit and do good works because you're just not able to to stay in silence. So all of that is going on after you've received this deep peace from from this kind of engagement with Jesus, this encounter with him that where he's promised to give himself to you in a much deeper way. So you have this peace, but you have all these trials. In chapter two, what she's going to talk about is in the midst of these trials, there's also some remarkable graces of prayer and among these remarkable graces or the purpose of these remarkable graces is Jesus is beginning to wake up the soul to a deeper love a love that it's never had before and so earlier in the mystical life uh, uh, it seemed like the faculties fell asleep well here Jesus is going to wake them all back up and getting ready for the the spiritual marriage and so it's it's kind of uh, some very beautiful descriptions of prayer in this chapter. Yeah, it is interesting, even in that very first paragraph where she has the line, he increases her longing for him 
by devices so delicate that the soul itself cannot discern them. <clears throat> Isn't that interesting? And what does she mean by that? John of the Cross is going to talk about this as a divine inflow, a grace that comes in the night. And when he speaks about the night, he means something that you don't really understand and you're hardly even aware of it happening. And yet it's so beautiful as it happens. And you kind of, so you don't understand. Uh, and sometimes you're not even aware that you've received them. And all of a sudden you're caught up in the middle of them. What's going on is a movement of the Holy Spirit that's deeper than your intellect, deeper than your imagination, deeper than your affectivity, your intuition. It's in the very core of your being. And when he moves in the very core of your being, by core of your being or deepest part of your being, somebody could say, well, your spirit, there's not, you know, spatial relation deeper and so forth doesn't apply. Well, no, we're talking about the deeper part of the be or of our being. Our being is held into existence by the presence of God. God wills us into existence at each moment. He does so out of pure love. And by grace, we're able to know and feel, will that love, join in a union of wills with that love in a way we can't do by nature. And at this stage of union, exactly where God is sustaining you in existence, exactly where he's holding you together by his a pure act of love, you're free, conscious, spiritual center is dwelling next to that right now. You're at the threshold of it. In the seventh spiritual mansion, you enter into it, this act of love that has existed in you. But in the this, this sixth one, you're close to it. And that's why the movements are delicate and subtle. They proceed from the, the depths of the heart. They're not in places of your being that you could be aware of or understand as easily. They're harder to describe. John of the Cross, he explains that when only something that is very, very powerful can work in a very delicate way. So think about the power of the hands of a surgeon. That power is able to do extremely subtle things that can heal somebody uh, completely or relieve suffering or there's power in the hands of a surgeon. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the very depths of the soul. What's going on in these depths? She doesn't really explain it in terms of in this chapter, but what's going on is that we have wounds of original sin that touch the very core of our being. What's going on in this kind of prayer is Jesus is beginning to heal those deepest parts of those wounds. His ability to do that or the way he does it is subtle to us. It's delicate. We don't notice what he's doing while he's doing it because he's so subtle. And that's what this prayer is about. She goes on to describe another image that John of the Cross is going to use in his writings a lot. He's going to talk about this subtle movement of God has a kind of spiritual wound. So as you just said, it's hard to discern it. You should, probably shouldn't. Do you even try? I mean, do you or do you just allow the moment to be? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think when it's going on, yeah, you need to be surrendered in the silence and let this thing unfold. So there's a greater, what's required of the soul at this stage is a greater kind of surrender and docility and readiness to let God do what he wants to do. 
this requires, and we talked about this in the last chapter, you know, we talked about all those trials that this soul goes through. Why does the Lord God allow a soul to be so tried when they're so close? What's he doing? The answer is that he's trying to grow the capacity of the soul to trust him because this kind of subtle movement that God wants to do requires supreme trust on the part of the soul. This surrender to to God being vulnerable to this kind of subtle, delicate movement, you, uh, you need a greater and deeper trust that is surrendered to his movement. Otherwise, he can't do it. It's just like if somebody uh, is in surgery and they're moving around on the operating table that the surgeon can't, <laughs> the surgeon can't do anything. Well, except <laughs> look horrified that the person is moving around on the table. Yeah. And so God here uh, wants us to be completely still in his presence. And when we are, it's not like, well, there are different kinds of prayer experiences, but the one she, she talks about, it, it, even if you're surrendered just for a moment, He comes in like a thunderclap, a flash of lightning, and leaves a wound of love inside you that begins to change everything. She is, of course, writing about experiences that she had. Yes, that's important to understand, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She is reflecting back on her own life experience. She's aware of this wound. She's likely talked to John of the Cross about it. She's aware of the good that came out of this wound. There's a kind of pain in it, but the precise nature of the pain is that you've been touched and you long for more. This is a grace that she's had in prayer. She's been touched and she longs for more. When the touch happens, there's kind of a moment of absorption in it, but then uh, you kind of go past the absorption. Uh, We talked about something similar to this in the prayer of quiet, but this is... uh, a much more beautiful and much more full experience. It is conscience, she's, conscious, she says, of having been uh, delectably wounded, but cannot say how or by whom. And it is certain that this is a precious experience, and it would be glad if it would never be healed of that wound. It complains to its spouse with words of love and even cries aloud, being unable to help itself, for it realizes that he is present but will not manifest himself in such a way as to allow it to enjoy him. And this is a great grief, though a sweet and delectable one. Even if it should desire not to suffer it, it would have no choice. But in any case, it never would so desire. I get asked this a lot, you know, God wounds me. Well, this is a wound of love. And the best analogy I can have is if anybody has fallen in love with somebody else, there's a heart sickness for that person. You just want to be with them all the time. And you can't, it's hard for you to think about other things when you've been so wounded. But what the specific wound is, is your affections have been roused up for this person. You you desire this person, but you can't yet possess them. And that's the precise wound is you ache to have them, but you can't have them. That's on the level of human love. This, in this case, the one who's wounded us is God himself. And there's a, an incredible ache that takes hold in the soul uh, that wants him so badly and, uh, but can't yet possess him. Uh, perhaps uh, for those who are praying for souls who are in purgatory, this is the kind of 
wound that the souls in the in purgatory suffer. They want to be united to Jesus because of everything he's done for them. They long to see his face. They know that their hope does not disappoint. And yet he does not yet disclose himself to them because there's other works he needs to do in them to prepare them for that encounter. And so this wound actually prepares you for a deeper encounter with Christ. Wow. I have to say, I, just as a quick footnote, I love, again, her earthiness, because she'll say, I'm at my wit's end. I just don't mm-hmm. know how to, I don't, I can't explain it, but yet she's trying to explain it. Are these experiences similar? Do people, when they get to a certain point, if the soul has been brought on this, this journey to this, is it similar that others have? And I, I don't know what I'm trying to to ferret out here, but it, I, I'm just wondering if it's so unique and it's to Teresa or is this kind of a universal experience? Uh, no, this is something that souls, as they advance, will ordinarily experience. It, it's part of the experience of pur- purgatory that I was saying before. Mm. It's an experience that comes out of the grace of baptism. Uh, baptism already in a certain way, gives us the seed of this experience that we're beginning to see now. And obviously, this is a preparatory experience, meaning it's preparing us for a greater fruition. But before we can receive receive the grace of the joy of knowing the Lord and possessing Him, there's an opening of heart that needs to be created, and this wound creates that opening. It seems a contradiction to say that the Beloved is making very clear that that He is with the soul, and seems to be giving it in such a clear sign that he's calling it, that it cannot doubt the fact, and that the call is so penetrating that it cannot fail to hear him. For the spouse, who is in the seventh mansion, seems to be calling the soul in a way that involves no clear utterance of speech, and none of the inhabitants of the other mansions, the senses, the imagination, the faculties, dares to stir. You have this extremely close experience of the Lord where he's actually wounded he's so close he's wounded your heart and at the same time you don't fully possess him yet you possess him by not possessing him you know that he's close to you because of how much you yearn for him and that's a thought meant to encourage souls who've tasted this they one of my friends who devotes a lot of her life to prayer she, she borrows she has some language from uh, the the Protestant world. She talks about her soul being wrecked by Jesus. And I've often wondered if having your soul wrecked by Jesus is speak, speaking to this. You just can't be the same. All that you thought was supposed to be a priority up till now, all of a sudden just isn't the same priority anymore because he's become the priority of your heart. You yearn for him so much. And then Teresa goes on to say, Oh, my powerful God, how great are thy secrets, how different are spiritual things from any that can be seen or understood here below. There is no way to, of describing this favor, small though it is by comparison to the, the signal favors which the soul are granted by these. So she's saying that there's no way of describing this, but it's small compared to what's to come. <laughs> and uh, so, so, so um, uh, but how great are thy secrets and uh, and how different are spiritual things from any that can be seen or understood here below. So I try to use the image of falling in love 
But the language that she's giving us here is that it suggests that even that is an extremely weak analogy compared to what the soul is experiencing in this prayer. The fruit of this experience, of course, is this desire that we've been talking about. Once this desire has been woken up, she's talking about waking up the soul. What specifically are you waking up? You're waking up a deeper desire for the Lord. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. 
If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I would like to address for some, and I, the overall majority will not have heard this, but there are some who will have heard those who are trying to describe the spiritual life, and they may have come across this chapter, or they use this, this image, and they, and I want to pick my words carefully, because, and I'll do reverence to Teresa, but they highly sexualize this. Mm-hmm. And they use it, yes, there's a, a quite an intimacy that is occurring here between the soul and God. And yet it has been used by some to d- try to describe as more of a sexual experience. It, what are your thoughts about that? I think that uh, sexualizing this passage is very violent to its purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a marital analogy that runs through this, but she's not talking here about any kind of ecstasy that is anything like the conjugal embrace. Mm-hmm. In, in the conjugal embrace, yeah, you can say that there's a, a natural experience of physical ecstasy that occurs between husband and wife. And God created the beauty of that as a sign of something so much more. Mm-hmm. So that whatever we think union with God is like because of uh, because of that analogy the reality is it's so much more than that it's it's beyond our power to comprehend and understand this isn't a physical experience although there are physical components to it it's something that's happening in the very center of the spirit in the heart it's it's going out of itself it's being wounded it's being touched by God in this really powerful way so that it wants to give itself to God all the more. John of the Cross will get this, go into the the soul, its desire to give itself more and more and more the closer it gets to Jesus. He calls that the ladder of contemplation in the uh, dark night of the soul. Here, Teresa doesn't have the image of a ladder, but she is talking about an, an increase of desire that comes because God has touched and wounded us. And that this wound, the reason it's delightful because it, it is a wound of love. We are created in the image and likeness of love himself. And at this stage of the game, we've in, in prayer, we are being touched by love himself in a way that configures us to his image and likeness that the wound is a configuring wound. It's it's imprinting uh, the Holy Trinity in us. She doesn't use this language, but this is the phenomena. Uh, Elizabeth of the Trinity, in her great prayer, Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, uh, help me to forget myself entirely so that I may be established in you as still and as peaceful as if my soul was all, were already in eternity. That line, and then the rest of the prayer that unfolds 
is talking about a grace that happens here. In fact, Elizabeth said that her spiritual mission is to help a soul get into this very place that Teresa of Avila is talking about. This place where God touches us, it hurts because it's so different than the rest of our nature. It's not what we're looking for. And yet we're in, this, we're in the image and likeness of this very touch. So when we are touched, we become more fully who we are. And so the pain is the pain of somebody who is waking up in the morning and realizing who they are and who they live for. And it's the pain of wanting to give yourself the conjugal act, going back to your thing, mm -hmm. uh, is a physical way of giving one person giving themselves to another. But everybody knows that that's not marriage. Marriage is consummated by that. It's a very holy and sacred moment in marriage. But that holy and sacred moment in, in, in marriage is the faintest shadow of what of the these higher degrees of prayer that Teresa of Avila is talking about. There is a deeper spiritual communion and a deeper spiritual fruitfulness that results from it. it you could say it virginizes the soul. If, if the conjugal act is something where you've totally given yourself to another, and so in a certain sense, you're no longer virgin, you're given to another person. In this kind of prayer, you're made pure again in a way that you were meant to be, be at the dawn of creation before original sin. This is a purifying touch of God. It's not to over-sexualize this or reduce it down to some kind of sexual ec ecstasy is to totally misunderstand the use of the analogy that Teresa develops. She's trying to point to us to something so much more. Mm, thank you for that, Anthony, because I think that's important because sometimes we want to bring it to, don't we, the, to a, our base level. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I mean, we're creatures of the earth right now, made by God, children of God, but we're trying to understand things. And so sometimes we take the things that are spiritual and try to relate them to our own experience. And what, you know, as I'm hearing you say this, what Teresa's experience, this is like nothing else. It's almost a, a wound of certainty, isn't it? I mean, you're wounded. The scar you have, though, is the fruitfulness of it is a certainty. Am I correct in that? There is a certainty. There is confidence that comes with this wound. But I would say, actually, that it's a wound of desire. Hmm. You are left yearning for him. John of the Cross will use this language. Your heart is actually dying for union with him. Uh, you're, you have been wounded unto death. These experiences, they can be of different kinds and calibers. In the beginning, maybe not as deep as I've just described, but the deeper it is, the more you're capable of dying to yourself and having him live in you. That new life that comes through this wound uh, conversely allows you to die all the more. So there's something powerfully purifying, powerfully healing, and freeing all at once with this wound. It's delectable, it's pleasant, but um, it aches at the same time uh, because it's fired up for him. So yeah, the final thought I, I'll have just on your question, because it's an important question, is in order to read the interior castle as a whole, 
someone who is not being continent and living uh, an over-sexualized existence and not being chased, someone who's not protecting what they look at and the custody of the eyes or how they think about their spouse or their future spouse, or, or if they've given up having a spouse, how they think about other people just generally. If they're not pure in, uh, and healed in their own sexuality, the ability to read this text fruitfully is terrifically impaired. Someone who's over-sexualized will not really understand St. Teresa's doctrine. Her doctrine are for, here especially or is for the people who, um, uh, who are through penance and uh, a life uh, ascetical discipline have learned how to be chaste in the presence of the Lord. Uh, uh, the more you're committed to chastity, where, whether it's marital chastity or celibate chastity, the more the treasures that she's trying to describe can unfold themselves to you, even if you haven't experienced them yet. You really get a good sense uh, of what she's saying. But when Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God, God himself is disclosing something of himself through this text. And if our heart's not pure, we, we will misconstrue and not understand what he's saying. Hmm. I, I think that's extraordinarily important. So thank you for, for clearing that up for many of us who are just trying to, to enter into this, because this is such a tender, tender moment between the the soul and God. And I also love when she says, secondly, because this welcome storm comes from no region over which Satan has control. Mm. I mean, you talk about purity. I mean, this is an area where devil cannot get in, can he? That's right. So, yeah. So she gives what you just cited. She has three reasons. There's a security even though this is so overwhelming, in a certain way, you surrender control to God in such a deep way. Somebody could say, boy, this doesn't seem secure. I mean, to it seems like you're losing control a little bit. Is this dangerous? And she gives these three things. She says, it is secure for three reasons, because so delectable a pain can never be bestowed upon the soul by the devil. He can give pleasures and delights, which seem to be spiritual, but it is beyond his power to unite pain and such great pain with tranquility and joy in the soul. That's the first thing is pain can excite all kinds of different things. Uh, pain can excite anger. It can excite fear. Uh, it can excite a lot of different things in the human person. Here, though, the pain that God is producing in this holy wound, this wound of love, it's united with peacefulness and joy. Uh, and remember, this stage of the spiritual life, peace is is uh, the main thing. Joy, you you know, peace is dawned on the soul. Joy is about to come, and so this wound is a foretaste of something that is to come. And then the second thing is what you said: this delectable tempest comes from another region than those that the devil has authority over. He can't produce it. It doesn't come from a place that he has any authority over. And then finally. <laughs> great advantages accrue to the soul, things that Satan wouldn't ever want you to have and that he's not capable of producing. And so anyway, so those are the three things. The, the first is there's a joy and a peace that are coming that he can't produce in pain. And second, 
this has come from somewhere so pure and holy and good. He has no authority over it. So he can't interfere with this. And then finally, there is so much good done to the soul. And in particular, I talked about this desire. Here, this desire is marked by a determination to suffer for God's sake and desire to have as many trials to endure and to be very much more resolute in withdrawing from pleasures and intercourse with this world and other things like them. There's a freedom from, from the world and a total givenness over to the Lord. And the devil can't produce that. He's such a jerk. <laughs> can't do it. Just can't. I, I, I've heard that. I mean, that's where the, I, maybe I'm being too simplistic, but is that where the joy and suffering comes from? You know, that mm. someone who is in that, the throes of suffering, but somehow that there is that touch. And I'm not saying necessarily this, the type that's described in, in this mansion of the interior castle, but there is something, isn't it? When grace unites with the soul, when they're in that moment of suffering. Yeah. Usually when God is working in the soul, sometimes some of what he does can be imitated by the evil one. Sometimes some of what he, he does can can seem to have a, a correlation with the, the natural functions of our creaturehood, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but how you identify the counterfeit is by the fruit that's produced. So if you have this beautiful experience in prayer and then you're yelling at people afterwards, uh, that's that's not good fruit. Or if you have uh, this uh, uh, incredible encounter with the Lord, you believe in prayer and but you don't feel convicted to go to confession, be, even though you're in a, a sinful situation. Well, probably that experience you had is is not <laughs> not from the Lord. Normally, when you have a genuine encounter with the Lord, it totally touches your heart. Even a very beginning encounter totally touches your heart. But at the same time, it convicts you of sin. You want to do penance and make restitution. You you want to weep over lost time and feel a desire to start being a little bit more spiritually productive for the Lord and not be so lethargic. And that's at the beginning of the spiritual life. Well, here in this spiritual mansion, what has begun, this has reached a whole new level. And this determination to suffer for the sake of love, to suffer for the sake of God, and not to be detached to things that pull you away from him is is one of the most singular graces that you can receive. Mm, so beautiful. You have a final thought on this particular chapter, chapter two of the sixth mansion? In the last couple of paragraphs, there's some other beautiful things that she says about this prayer. She talks about that you can also have a prayer at this stage of the game that is not there's no pain involved at all it's just very beautiful she talks about smelling roses and that the the smell of the roses is just so sweet it draws your soul into love so that's another way so god can work and there are many many others and we're going to be looking at those in the future chapters thank you so much anthony god bless you you've been listening to beginning to pray with dr anthony lillis To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, 
the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.